0: Trying to help. But like I said, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to just do whatever I can for people, like the World Hunger thing, the USA for Africa. That's isn't that great? You guys hear the song? Nice song, isn't it? Beautiful. I'm, uh, I'm like anybody else on the planet. I'm very moved by World Hunger. I see the same commercials, those little kids starving and very depressed, and. Uh, yeah, I watch these things on tv and i see those commercials and i look at it and i go god how cruel you know to see the little kid out there and i go you know i know the uh, the film crew could give this kid a sandwich <laughs> you know the kid's not out there uh, you know filming a letter from home with a beta match huh you know there's a director five feet away going don't feed him trying to make fun of world hunger. Matter of fact, I think I have the answer because I spend a lot of time working it out. And uh, if you want to stop world hunger, stop sending them food. Don't send these people another buy it, folks. You want to send them something? You want to help? Send them U-hauls. Send them U-hauls, some luggage. Send them a guy out there that goes, "Hey, you know, we've been driving out here every day with your food for like the last uh, I don't know 30, 40 years." We we're driving out here a day across the desert and it occurred to us there wouldn't be world hunger if you people would live where the food is. You live in a desert. You understand that? You live in a desert. Nothing grows out here. Nothing's gonna grow out here. You see this? Huh? See this? This is sand. Yeah. It's sand. You know it's gonna be 100 years from now. huh? It's
1: So that uh, I'm actually kind of having fun throwing some of these uh, old things in my memory that that were, you know, things that that registered, right, As as you get older, fewer and fewer of the things, I guess, register. But that little skit from Sam Kennison was the first time that I ever saw him on television. And it was probably one of the hardest that I've laughed um, back then watching a, a comedian come out and and, you know, kind of. Hit on a, a, a delicate subject, right? The the idea of desert, who lives in a desert, and his scream, that Sam Kinison scream. Uh, I played that for a reason today, and, and it, there's a story behind this, and there's several stories, and, and those of you that have, have kind of found these podcasts of interest, you know I'm, I'm kind of a storyteller. Well, what I, I wanted to do is is bring something else into your mind to be thinking about as you try to forecast your future and again, baby boomers, hello. If you're not a baby boomer, not much of this or much of this really matters yet, um, because you'll you're too you're too far away from the day when you have to start having your retirement plans become front and center. But the baby boomer, this is really important stuff because we're we're looking at about a 20-year run of of what we want to be happy and and do all the things that we work so hard all of our lives and Hopefully that includes helping the next generation out a little bit. I think that's going to be a big part of what boomers have to do as they get older and as the headwinds get even more and more uh, severe here in the United States and the rest of the world for that matter. So what's the relevance? Sam Kennison saying, get out of the desert. <laughs> you know, it's sand. It's always going to be sand. And 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 it's kind of a telling thing when you look at one of what I believe is one of the biggest crises that is starting to form in the country, and that's Lake Mead. Um, I I refer to Lake Mead when I'm talking to people, you know, individually when I have my conversations with folks. I, I refer to it as the silent asteroid. And, you know, when we think about asteroids, we all picture Bruce Willis, you know, going up and facing that gigantic rock coming towards Earth to, to basically destroy Earth, and, you know, he sacrifices himself to to blow up uh, the asteroid and save the planet and the guy gets the girl and everything is great, right? That's how the movies work out. Um, But that's not what Lake Mead is. It's not an asteroid. It's not something that we can look. It's that movie that just came out that uh, I watched because I heard people kind of make, you know, kind of making fun of it. Uh, Don't look up, right? The idea that an asteroid's coming and if you just don't look up, it's not going to matter. And people actually were doing it. Um, it was it was really a satire on how government tries to steer our focus onto something else, and the way they handled that disaster was just told people don't look up. <laughs> and it's, if you don't look up, it's not an asteroid. You know, it's like Brody. It's not. It's only a, a, an island if you look at it from the water in, in Jaws. So when I talk about this silent asteroid, I, I think we have to start really taking it into our our process of following as far as how does it impact our future. Now to talk a little bit about Lake Mead, I, I have some stories that go along with Lake, Lake Mead and I, I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a topic that I, I find incredibly interesting and I, I want to share with you some facts First, some facts about Lake Mead. Number one, it's the largest man-made reservoir in the United States and it has a surface area of over 247 square miles Uh, was created in 1935 with the building of the Hoover Dam, which holds back the water from the beautiful and magnificent and life-sustaining Colorado River. And what I didn't know when I started putting this together for today's podcast is that there's 15 dams on the Colorado River. So if you want to talk about one of the most important natural resources in the United States, the Colorado River is right up on the top of them. It's, It's massively important, and it basically sustains the whole southwest of the United States. Now, Lake Mead, so just a little bit more facts, Lake Mead was named after the U.S. Bureau of Reclamations Commissioner Elwood Mead, uh, who reclaimed the land between 1924 and 1936 just before he passed away in 1936. So they named the lake after, after Elwood Mead. Now, people always talk about all the towns and cities. I I live here in in, uh, New York where there is literally a town upstate from uh, not far from where I live that's underwater, right? So they sacrificed a town and houses to build a reservoir because that's how you create reservoirs. You dam waterways and, you know, through engineering, they say, okay, once you dam this thing up this high, this many acres will be flooded. And there is actually a city underneath Lake Mead called St. Thomas, believe it or not. And it it lays below Lake Mead, and now you can actually start seeing it. I think you could actually start walking out to some of the buildings uh, that were part of St. Thomas, Nevada, or the outskirts of of that you know that that doomed city. Um, the lake is not it's situated in just Las Vegas. It's not just in Nevada. It's also shared in in Arizona, and it is. The, the primary water, and this is why this is so important. I'm going to talk a little about Las Vegas because I, I had a lot of time out in Las Vegas. I actually worked in a company we had a, a location in Las Vegas, so I'm very familiar with with the Las Vegas uh, Valley area. I've been out many, many times. Um, but there's there's about 700,000 residents in Las Vegas right now. People that actually live there and. There's a lot of upscale homes in that whole Las Vegas area. There's a lot of people that are doing well with the, with the fortunes that have become Las Vegas. Now, that's not even going into all the big businesses and Henderson and all the companies that relocated to Las Vegas for favorable taxes and, and freedoms, etc. So um, 700,000 residents plus millions of water-consuming visitors each year uh, are dependent on Lake Mead as its primary water source. Um, other than Las Vegas, there's 20 million people in Nevada, Arizona, California, and even in Mexico that actually are are able to sustain their lives because of the water that comes out of Lake Mead. And now you can just keep going on top of this, right? When you flow out of Lake Mead, you're back to the Colorado River, and you're talking about hundreds of farms and you know, who knows how much produce is actually being created from from the water bounty of Lake Mead. Now, my own story, I drove across Lake Mead in the 80s, and this is before uh, they built the uh, Mike, uh, I think it's a Mike O'Callaghan and Pat Tillman Memorial Bridge, which I saw on an uh, Aerial America show, which is one of my favorite shows I watch on TV. Uh, that bridge was actually built in 2003 and uh, started cars going across in 2010. Oak Callaghan was the governor of Nevada in 1971 through 1979. And, of course, Pat Tillman was the star NFL football player uh, for the Cardinals who left football in 2002 and right after the, uh, the attacks from 9-11. Um, Pat Tillman joined the U.S. Army, and he basically – lost his life serving our country in 2004 in Afghanistan. Uh, so, you know, a, well, a well-named bridge, right? So uh, I, maybe someday I'll get the chance to drive across that. But I drove across the Hoover Dam back in the 80s. Uh, Might have been early 90s. No, I'm going to say it was the 80s. And at the time, I was helping a buddy move out there. He was setting up an office for us. We were in the mortgage business at the time. And I'll never forget that we actually got stopped, stopped on the Hoover Dam. Like, literally, we were in the middle or close to the middle with a big 25-foot truck pulling a car carrier on the back, you know, with his car. And I actually got to, I, I was able to get out of the truck and walk both sides of the dam, look down over the water coming out of the dam, and, and look at the, you know, the beauty of Lake Mead, which at the time was full. You know, this was a a time when Lake Mead was at its peak. It, it filled up. It was... You know, I forget how many feet of water it was that was in the in the reservoir, but you could look out and just see the tops of where the water would flow into the uh, the tubes that would run the great big turbines, which basically became one of the primary sources of electricity for all of Las Vegas and and others. Um, the 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 hydroelectric that comes off of Hoover Dam is is impressive. So when you look at the Hoover Dam, you have to consider that as the endpoint of Lake Mead. So I've been there, saw that. I've actually been on Lake Mead. I went out, you know, boating on it with a friend, and and it was just a beautiful, unbelievable lake. When you realize that you're actually boating around the tops of mountains as opposed to the bottoms of them that you would, you know, riding a, a stream or white water rafting. You're actually boating around the tops of these little mountains. So the the Hoover Dam, that's your end point. And then the starting point is you could f- read about this in in the Deserve magazine. Uh, Rocky Mountain Cry, the story that I wrote about my trip to Colorado, which I talk about all the time because I, I loved it that much and it made that much of an impact on my life. But when we were there, we did the Continental Divide, and that is where the Colorado River starts. There is no Colorado River east of the Rocky Mountains when you go to Colorado. It begins there. And, and the interesting story about the Colorado River that I actually didn't know at the time and I had to really think about it my son brought his drone along with him and and he was taking some beautiful drone pictures of the park. Um, this is before, I guess everybody was just, you know, you can't fly drones. He, he had some magnificent pictures. One of them is, is behind my, my desk here that uh, if you're ever watching one of our webinars, you'll see the picture of, of the top of the continental divide, but on the Western slope, the reason they call it the Continental Divide is because it is the split between water when it falls from the sky. If it falls on the west side of the Continental Divide, it serves the west part of the United States. It does not go east. Water that flows on the other side goes east, and that's why they call it the Continental Divide. It's not the division of the country in half. It's, it's the water that falls from the sky and how it's divided. But my son, his drone, like, uh, kind of bugged out a little bit, and it actually went down and, and landed on a bog, <laughs> But the bog was on the other side of this little creek. And when I say creek, I'm maybe 10, 15 feet wide, nothing major. And, of course, he was not going to leave his drone there, so he hiked up his pants to about his knees, and he walked through this ice-cold water because it was snowmelt. It's pure snowmelt. And he walked across the water, and he got his drone. And I said, hey, Brett, you know, you just walked across the Colorado River. And it was everybody's like, no, it's not. I go, yeah, that's the Colorado River. I said, that is the river that feeds Lake Mead and and basically sustains 30, 40 million people in the United States. So I have a I have a connection to this river and to this dam and to that lake. And I also have one of my best friends lives in Las Vegas. And he and I have had the conversation more than one time um, about getting out getting out now right so he he lives there he bought a house there he's been a very successful um real estate mogul by way of serving our country he's a uh, retired coast guard officer and he's lived in many different places he's been in alaska he's been in western new york and, and some of the worst places when you think about serving your country as far as boredom i could remember some of his phone calls from from uh ovid new york where he was just losing his mind watching clocks and dials and then serving in ketchikan alaska where it would be just downpouring when he would call me i'd say are you in the shower and he goes no it's been raining and everybody here wears yellow boots (laughs) it was just crazy but uh he lives in las vegas now bought a house there and and you know when you serve and you travel around the country like he did you become a little bit of a nomadic Residents, you move state to state and you you buy houses and he's done really well with that. But now he's in Las Vegas and he's trying to convince his wife that they need to sell and get out. And it's because the place is going to run out of water. Sam Kinison screams at this point, right? It's running out of water. These people live in a desert and their reservoir is going dry. (laughs) So he's trying to convince her, let's sell this house while people are still crazy enough to move here. And get the hell out. Let's go where there's water, right? Where hey, go where the food is. Well, go where the water is. And he gets it. He understands science. He's he's obviously because of his role in the Coast Guard very familiar with with water and waterways, et cetera. So, you know, I, I listened to him and, and I, you know, I, I looked at it and I said, Well, this is just about Las Vegas and maybe some Arizona. I didn't think how it impacted you and me. How does Lake Mead, how does this story impact you and I? Well, it does in, in big, big ways. That silent asteroid is likely going to hit in the next 10 years, and I think it might be less. When the government talks about long-range forecasting being two to five years, which is what they're they're talking about with Lake Mead, they're basically saying, hey, everyone, don't worry, don't look up, <laughs> or don't look over there at that... that that draining big lake of water um, because for the next two to five years, we'll be okay. Well, we're only going to be okay out there because they drilled a third straw, right? So they draw water out of Lake Mead through these shafts that go down and and like a hamster's, you know, bottle, the, the shafts go down lower into the lake and the water goes in the shaft and they pump out of the shafts and they send the water to Las Vegas and other places. Well, they recognized this risk several years ago And they drilled this massive straw. Now, we just had one done here where I live in the Hudson Valley. They had to redirect the aqueduct on my side, which is the west side of the Hudson River. They had to get the water over to the east side of the Hudson River. And they had to drill one of these straws down. So the one here by me is 30 feet across. Then it goes down 900 feet goes under the Hudson River, and connects back to the aqueduct on the other side, which, by the way, this is a repair project. Somehow they managed to do that back in the 1800s. Fascinating. But out there, they put this third straw in to just make sure that, hey, if things go bad, we can always turn that pump on and get a little bit more water until the snow comes again, until all the rains show up in the mountains. Well, they just turned on the pumps for the third straw, and Las Vegas is now really looking down the barrel of a gun, of a canyon, a cannon, an asteroid, a silent asteroid. And if things don't change, if this mega drought that's really been going on for over 20 years now, if it continues, now think about that. It's a 20-year drought. To me, that's not just a drought. That's a new way of life. That's a new transition. And I'm not going to go global warming on this thing because that, I think, is the problem, is that politics like to, to divide us by using things that are questionable or controversial like global warming I believe the planet is going through a cycle whether it's related to oil burning I don't know um, and I don't know that that really matters to to anything except the fact that there is a a reality that we are seeing snow melt in places where it shouldn't be and we're seeing water evaporate where we need it to be and we have to do something about it instead of you know throwing up some, Divisive political, you know, uh, points that that we just get lost in. That's all this country does is get lost in these political points. So we've got a silent asteroid sitting out in the west, the southwest, that is going to impact every single one of our lives if that lake goes dry. Think about it. What do you do when water goes? You can't live without water. You can live with without a lot of things. Food being one of them. You can go weeks without food. You can't go days without water. Millions of people will suddenly. Now, remember, this won't be a blend. This will be a switch. This is like a light switch. Like, hey, it's Friday afternoon, and hey, folks, the water level's getting really low. And Monday, they come on the radio and say, everyone needs to leave because the water is off. That's how fast this can happen because it's a water level, right? It's just going to drop, and there's a certain point you can't go any lower. You've used it all. You basically have squandered the water. Now, the population, I was looking to get some stats on this. The population of Las Vegas, and again, I'm only using Las Vegas because you can focus on that, right? If I tried to tell you, well, it's this town in this state or it's over here in this location. You have to understand that. Las Vegas, we can quantify. Because if you go there, it's in a bowl, right? It's the Vegas Valley. You can see all of it. You can go up on the mountain, Mount Charleston, and see the entire Vegas Valley. Um, Sometimes that's a little scary because there's a green dome that goes over Las Vegas during the summer when it gets really hot, and that's all the pollution locked in. Uh, Pretty gross when you look at it. It's like the Emerald City because of the green smog. But having said that, imagine the day that the light switch gets thrown And everyone has to leave. Think of the economic impact. Now, I'm not even talking about the food shortages, the farming shortages, all the agricultural shortcomings that would happen if this Colorado River can't furnish the water for all the demands because we just kept getting more and more population in deserts. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. We're building in deserts, folks. It's it's Sam Kinison. We just need him to come back and, and go into Washington and just do his scream in front of in front of Congress and say, Why aren't you talking about this? Why are you talking about all these other silly things? Why aren't you talking about the fact that we have a silent asteroid out west that's gonna destroy this economy? And it will. So When is the question, right? It's, we get so caught up in the minutia of the markets and I'm gonna do my market thing in a few minutes. But I wanted to talk about this because it needs to be part of your thinking process. As we take the threat levels, we have to stop looking for the good things. We We can't just focus on optimism and hope that our retirements and our monies and our families are gonna be okay because something's gonna get better and we have to look at the facts that surround us. I'm throwing another fact at you that there could come a time in the next five to 10 and no longer than 15 years. If the weather patterns don't change dramatically and if they don't stop using water, let me give you a stat of what came out of this meeting in Congress. And this, I'm, I'm citing this from an article written by uh, Janet Wilson and she works for the Palm Springs desert sun. And she basically said, this is crazy that Um, A congressional official, I guess they didn't put the person's name on, so a top federal water official told Congress on Tuesday, now this was printed on June fourteenth, 2022, uh, a federal water official told Congress on Tuesday that shortages on the Colorado River system have taken an even grimmer turn with a whopping 2 2 million to 4 million acre-feet reduction of water use needed by 2023. So let me unpack that one for you. So 2 million to 4 million acre feet. So how do we put that in perspective? The state of of Rhode Island, better yet, let's use Delaware. So Delaware, I looked it up. Delaware is 1,500,000 square feet. So it's right in between this number, right? So that, no, actually it's not. It's less than the low end. So they said 2 million to 4 million. So the whole state of Joe Biden's beloved Delaware is less than the low number that she just mentioned. You'd have to pile a foot of water on the entire state of Delaware. That's what they have to cut from their usage by next year, by 2023. And that's to keep the lake doing what it's capable of doing now, delivering drinking water, irrigation, and power to millions of people. Guys, that should be on the headlines of every news. I don't think I want to hear about Hunter Biden anymore. I think I want to hear about, hey, who's fixing this problem? What are we going to do with all these people? What are we going to do with all the mortgage debt? What are we going to do with all the business losses? How do we handle the silent meteor? Guys, it's there. Don't look up. B.S. It Look down. The water's going away faster than they can ever replace it. We are not going to have to just hope. I mean, can you imagine that your hope is on the weather? <laughs> you know, we had, we had the Dust Bowl. These things happen, and weather patterns don't just change the way V-shaped recoveries hit markets. This is something that is dire, and, and we have to be thinking about it even though it's not in our backyard. I don't worry about water. We have plenty of water here in the Hudson Valley, but I have to worry about the economic crisis that it will create when the entire southwest of the United States goes dry. Where do these people go? There's already a housing shortage in the United States. What do we do with a whole bunch of nomadic people running around in the last rent? Good good luck find, trying to find a rental truck when this happens, right? You, there'll be people buying a renting rental truck. Heck, like they'll have to buy them because they may need them to keep their stuff in them as they nomadically travel from state to state looking for a place to live. But meanwhile, they're going to be financially ruined because they're not going to pay the mortgage on the house that they just boarded up and and turned around and, you know, tears and eyes and drove away from along with everyone else. It's like a, It's like one of these movies when the plague goes into the city and everybody leaves their homes. It's horrible to think like this, but we should. We should be thinking about this because it's just another major part, not one that I've ever talked about, even though I recognize the risk of it, it wasn't until I listened to a podcast last night. I actually don't even know the podcast. I, I did a search. I did a search for Lake Mead water crisis in my podcast, and I found a couple, and uh, I listened to two. And the one guy was great. He, he's terrific. I, I wish I had that even handy right now. I might even try to look. And yeah, Do me a favor. Look at my podcast. I'm going to give it to you so you guys can look at it. Go into my podcast and look at what I just listened to. I think I downloaded Oh, wait a minute. I got it. The Real Deadpool, that's what they're calling it. Let me open it up here. The Real Deadpool, America's Drought, and it—it it is done by uh, um, Peak Prosperity, and the gentleman's name is Chris Martison. Um, so the podcast is called The Peak Prosperity Podcast, and the, the episode is from June 14th, The Real Deadpool, America's Drought. Listen to it. These podcasts are what help me bring you topics that you may not be looking at that I think you should be because if your if your retirement is is predicated on your market growth coming back after this craziness that we're in now and we get hit with the silent asteroid that that takes our whole southwest out where is the government going to have all the money to help all these people what are they going to try to do? I've read somebody say, hey, can't we just take the water from the Mississippi? Yeah, good luck. We're going to pump the Mississippi uphill, uh, you know, a thousand miles to fill Lake Mead. No. Are you going to drag an iceberg down from Canada? No, nah, it can't happen either. The things that would be needed to try to serve these households just isn't there and it couldn't be done in any amount of time. You die without water. Three or four days, you're dead. You have to move. You You can't shower. You can't do anything without water. And they can't truck it in, guys. I mean, I used to be in the swimming pool business when I was in high school, and I had a, a pool company for 33 years that I finally you know, retired from because I got too old for it. But I know that one of those big tankers of water, if you have a, a 24-foot round swimming pool, you basically need two of those big tankers to just get that water up to the to the bottom of the skimmer in an above-ground pool. You need three of them to fill a 27-foot round pool. How do you like that little factoid that, that I happen to have? So- There's no way to to run these tankers in and and serve people with water. Maybe the wealthiest people out there will find a way to bring water down from the northern states and save their homes. But who's going to want to live there? Every other business, everybody's going to be shut down. There's not enough trucks and there's not enough water. I mean, I don't know, maybe going to bring rail cars down and maybe that. But, hey, guys, start building the railway into Las Vegas from the water in the north in Canada so that we can start doing this. It isn't going to happen overnight. So we're going to have an economic crisis from this silent asteroid. We should all be thinking about it. You know, and, and this all goes back to the same concept that I keep talking about is if you've already won the bet, if you're a boomer and you've got a good nest egg, just keep it and <laughs> just pull the chips back. Ant's doing that motion on the other side here in the, in the producer seat. He's doing the uh, pull the chips off the table, right? And you know he he's a young guy and he listens to these things at the end, and he goes, "Where did you come up with this stuff? Like, uh, where did you come up with this lake meat?" I sent him the Sam Kinnison spot last night at, I don't even know what time it was, maybe 10, 11, 12 o'clock. It might have even been like three in the morning. I don't know when I sent it to him, but it came in my mind. I said, let me throw a little levity into this whole conversation because it's dark. it's It's not what we want to talk about. it's it's scary, but it's what you prepare for you prepare for disasters, you don't hope them away. And if you know that your impact is to you financially, then start creating more blockades from your money being absorbed by our government. Now, this, this has a lot to do with government, but it also has to do with stock markets. So in, in, in a crisis situation those are your two points of vulnerability, the taxes the government will need to go to save the world, right? So imagine uh, whoever the president will be at that time comes on TV and says, folks, we've got a crisis. A quarter of our population or whatever, per 15%, 20% of our population is running out of water and we've got to come to their aid and we need millions and billions and trillions of dollars to do that. But unfortunately, we spent all that money, you know, during COVID and, and you know, we just kind of made things cool. We bought Brett his, his pool chairs, you know, back in 2008 with George Bush. And it, it's just silly what we spent all this money on. And, and meanwhile, a disaster is looming and we have nothing in the tank for it. So think about how do you prepare yourself government that's going to be desperate, people who will be desperate, and an economy that's going to collapse because who is going to be in the stock market when there's a real crisis? And and understand something about this current market environment. Panic has not yet set in. There is no panic yet. This is still, there's, there's somehow they're still keeping us all feeling like Jim Cramer was trying to blow sunshine on this thing yesterday, saying that he thinks that 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 we've hit the, the top of the inflation. That's great. We can't keep going up 8%, 9%, but it doesn't mean we're going to go down. It doesn't mean things are going to get cheaper. And if it levels off at the 2% that the government wants, which it won't, it'll probably level off at 4%. This is still a catastrophic thing for boomers. Your dollars are not able to grow as fast as as they'll be consumed by both taxation and inflation and market losses. Bad, bad stuff. So what do we got right now? So it takes the market a little while to digest the, the, the news of yesterday. So the Dow right now, its and by the way, I'm doing this on Thursday because tomorrow is, uh, I, I just had some time today, had a couple cancellations, and, and this whole thing has just been eating at me. So I, I'm, I'm doing this on Thursday today, uh, this week instead of Friday but I'm I'm not known to keep a very good schedule on when I produce these podcasts. But I'm I'm now speaking to you the recording is being done at 10:52 a.m. on July 14th and this is Thursday and I'm looking at the market. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down uh, 542.78. It's now at 30,230 30, guys. We might just be dipping the toe into the Dow 29,000, maybe as early as today. What we just need is an 800-point day down, and we're in the 29s. NASDAQ down 168. We are at 11,000. We are now staring down the 10,000-point range uh, within reach today, with, within reach by 78 points. We're down below 11,000. And the S&P is now down to three uh, three thousand 3,738 points, um, down currently 63.51. Wow, none of this is good stuff, but somehow, somehow panic hasn't yet set in. Now I'm happy for that, but I know there's many of you out there because I, I do have the, the honor of speaking with a lot of you. I started a campaign here and I absolutely love it. I, I've, got, I've got people that get it and I go home at night and say, wow, I think I just might've helped a whole family And I look at it that way. I don't look at it as, hey, I'm helping somebody that's got a lot of money keep it. I'm looking at it as I'm helping a family that is going to be able to navigate the potential disasters that lay in front of us. So how would you like to go home with that every night, right? That feels pretty good. But then there's other times when I go home saying, I I can't believe I'm going to watch a person potentially blow their entire legacy for generations because they're keeping the foot on the gas pedal because they believe... That there's some kind of good light in the tunnel of things that lie in front of us. Well, you know, take like me, take the silent asteroid, throw that into your long-range forecast, and say, how do we fix that one? How do we fix a, a you know a, a few billion dollars worth of mortgage debt that will go bad? If you got a million homes out there, you know, and do this calculation for me: take a million homes and average them at. Um, Seven hundred. Make them five hundred grand. Take a million homes, five hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Let's just say what that would that number would be. Because guys, when they leave, like I said, it'll be a wagon train. There will be a need for the military to come in and use trains, and it's going to look like when people were leaving Ukraine, except it won't be bombs. It'll be famine. It'll be it'll be drought. It'll be you know out of water. There won't be you won't be able to find a bottle of water in a store. Anywhere in the United States, it'll all be shipped out west when Lake Mead goes bad. So Ant just ran a numbers hundred thousand million billion. Five hundred billion dollars worth of potential mortgage debt could just go poof, you know, if if and I'm probably, you know, a little high on that, but think about those things. We we have to be as baby boomers, we shouldn't be looking for rays of sunshine. We should be looking for threats. What are the threats to our lifestyle? What is the threat to our families? What is the threat to our children and grandchildren? Are they real? Are they present dangers? And are we being responsible to that? And if we're not, why, number one, and how to change that? And fortunately for for some, uh, you know, that listen to this podcast, I, I haven't been coined a lunatic yet. I haven't seen that by anyone and no one's really called me that. I think a lot of people find what I talk about logical. And that's why I think so many people are are finding this podcast and, and tuning in and listening to it. And, you know, once in a while shooting me that email saying, Hey, where, where's the podcast this week? What happened? Well, you, you know, you're not doing them anymore, but no, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep talking about these things. Let me check out my, uh, by the way, silver was a good, good thing to be looking at. And uh, I think I missed it. I was I was hoping to get silver at eighteen dollars, but I believe I'm gonna do a couple checks here for you guys because I also um, set a, a stake in the ground. So silver is at eighteen dollars and thirteen cents right now. So I'm dollar cost average around twenty four bucks. Um, so going for silver eighteen or lower. Going for silver. How about oil? Where are we with oil? I keep talking about oil being the linchpin to this whole thing. And our president is out trying to beg, borrow, and steal for oil as we sit here on some of the largest reserves in the world under our beautiful country. Oil is now crashing. Oil is now down to $92.22. It's down $4 right now. What does all this mean? What it means is that everyone is starting to come to the realization that we are not only approaching we're probably in a recession and remember I defined a recession a little bit differently than than the uh, than what the economists do the recession is the pain of the consumer and we're in it we're feeling it uh, I went to Home Depot another little quick story I'm building my own uh, old-fashioned screens for my house I didn't want to replace my hundred year old windows so I'm building my own window screens because I bought these wonderful inside storms or they're, they're Crystal clear plastic. If anybody out there has a old home and they don't want to rip out their hundred year old windows, but they want energy efficiency, shoot me an email and I'll tell you exactly where the company is. Interestingly, they're in Las Vegas and they build these inside screen windows. But when you put those in, you lose your screen on the outside when you take off the ugly storm. So I'm building uh, what what looks like an original type of screen window by hand. Then they're beautiful. But when I went to the store the other day, I wanted to build them out of cedar because cedar's strong and it's light. And so I went and I bought five cedar two by fours and then I bought eight, eight foot lengths of this cheap plastic door insulator. And the idea was I wanted to wrap the edges of these wood screen windows. So I, you know, I made a saw kerf all the way around, put in this, this expanding plastic or foam inside some kind of vinyl. And the idea was to slide them in so they'd be bug tight, airtight, whatever screens, I guess they wouldn't matter if they're airtight. I spent $216 on five two by fours and eight of these little tiny plastic insulators that clicked into this saw curve. And inflation hit me. And today, because I didn't like the way they looked, I took seven, I took six backs because I used to determining that I didn't like it. And I took them back this morning. And I said to the girl, I said, can you believe these stupid things are 15 bucks a piece? And she goes, no, and they were, they were $15 a piece. What's the point? Inflation is hitting us all. Consumer credit is going down. That's not because we're doing better. It's because we're running out of money. The consumer is what your eye should be on. Not Jim Cramer, not all these pundits on CNBC and, and Fox Business. These people are just trying to keep you watching. It's a ratings game, right? They got to keep you watching they're sure as heck not going to keep you watching if they t- cause you to to panic and go take all your money out of the stock market. That's just not what they're going to do. It, it would be irresponsible for them in a way, but as a fiduciary, it would be the right thing to do. They're not. They're, they're TV personalities. So we've got a, a world of pain going on here. Gold has has underperformed. It's down to 1705 an ounce for gold. Um, I'm glad when people asked me about gold, I said, too too risky. It's... Let's check out the uh, the other thing that was supposed to be brilliant, which is the cryptos, right? So I'm going to check out crypto just for the heck of it. This might be a scary number. All right. So Bitcoin is still hovering $20,000 per coin. It's actually up 230 points at, at dollars as we speak right now. That won't last. So... Bitcoin has now established a new kind of floor ceiling at around 20,000. Scary, 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 because I know a lot of people just couldn't resist the thrill of $100,000 uh, Bitcoin and got in at such ridiculously high numbers 40,000, 50,000. I know people actually got in above 50,000. I, I don't know how, um, without being a multimillionaire, that you'd ever take such a gamble. So, as we look at all this, a lot of red on the board. Um, all the way down the charts is just very few. Corn is one of the few things. And again, why why are the commodities going down? Because everyone believes there's going to be a recession and it's going to be painful. So we're going to start not talking so much about supply side. We're going to start talking about all the supply that's been building for the lack of supply that suddenly will be priced higher. Think about this. The cost of these things will remain high but the buying demand will go down. That's stagflation. That is stagflation. And the other thing that we have to be watching, if for those of you that are still sitting on your 60-40 blend, is that we now have a correlation between stocks and, and bonds. They're supposed to go the opposite way. When stocks go bad, bonds are supposed to save you. They're correlating. You're, you're watching your stocks go down and your bonds go down. Everything is not what it used to be, guys, and it, it's a wake-up call. You remember I said you, you when you're driving down the road, and how many of us have done this, and you miss your exit, and stubborn guys like me, this is before ways, you just go to the next one, right? And oh darn it, I missed that one. I've done this driving home from Florida when I get tired, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get off the next exit, and I didn't have much gas in the car, and you just start lolly, you know dreaming or listening to a podcast and you zip past that exit and you say, "Ah, I'm not going to turn around. I make the next one. And it's like the, 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 uh, I mentioned this yesterday on a call with a, with a a gentleman. I said, remember the Seinfeld episode where Kramer was trying to push the limits of running out of gas in the car. Uh, just keep, go for it. So you're, you're, you have exits that happen when you have markets that are potentially going to go down through a deep, long uh, let's call it correction. Uh, starts off as a little crash. Panic has not yet set in. Panic will set in shortly. Panic is is coming. Panic will make deeper falls. Um, but we've got a lot of hope out there to keep the markets propped up. That this is going to be over in a matter of time. It's not. There's too much bad. There's too many things that went wrong. There's too much debt. There's too many instabilities. There's there's God. We haven't even started talking about all the, the the challenges that come along with China because we've been focusing on Russia and Ukraine. Not trying to bring you down, trying to help you change your focus and what you should be looking on, looking at as an investor who's who's now probably in the prime of your investment years based on your accumulation years and now your golden years. And my suggestion would be, look wide look for danger. Don't look for opportunity and, and wonderfulness. Don't use hope as your strategy. I hate that cliche anymore, but so many people say it, but it's very appropriate. Look at what's a danger in front of you. How is Lake Mead going to affect you five years from now? Where will you be in your retirement if the silent asteroid hits? So with that said, I uh, hope you enjoyed the, the the look back on Sam Kinnison, the late. Sam Kinnison, brilliant comic. Um, I hope you found the Lake Mead factoids of interest. I hope the whole thing is is just making you think a little bit differently. And until next time, and maybe I'll have some positivity, I'd like to actually talk about some success that I'm seeing. And I'm going to ask a few of these people I'm working with now, if they wouldn't mind me sharing some of their stories, not their personal information, but some of their stories. Because there are people that have just... I have people right now that are looking at every day with excitement and and wide open eyes. And I have other people that are ducking, hoping that the uh, the financial asteroid doesn't hit our, our heads here in New York. So on that, everyone have a great weekend. Stay healthy. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll tune in next week. And I'm not losing you because I'm, I'm a negative Nancy here. So I'm Brett Sasso. Deserve podcast. You deserve an amazing retirement. Let's go get it. Stay well, folks. Thanks.